0: Now it's time to talk political strategy. The Democrats face a crucial decision about the upcoming elections. Should they focus campaign efforts on recruiting moderate Republicans, suburban voters who don't like Trump, or on the Democratic base, where turnout has not been great? For comment, we turn to Steve Phillips. He's a civil rights lawyer, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, and the founder of Democracy in Color a media organization dedicated to race, politics, and the New American Majority. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Brown is the New White, How a Democratic Revolution Has Created a New American Majority. And he's a regular contributor to The Nation. We reached him today in Oakland. Steve Phillips, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Well, here's the strategy of the Democratic Party establishment Focus campaigns and candidates this fall on winning the votes of moderate Republican swing voters because these are people who vote regularly, they are college educated, and most important, they don't like Trump very much, especially suburban Republican women. They agree with us on some key issues. A lot of them want to protect the environment. They support action to slow climate change. They hated family separation at the border. But they are turned off by radical talk about abolishing ICE, about a guaranteed annual income, uh, about ending bail and In this view, if the Democrats are going to win in November, they need campaigns and candidates who appeal to moderate Republicans, swing voters. What do you think? Right. So
1: the size of the pool of these moderate swing voters is not big enough for uh, the Democrats to be able to take back the House. Sure, there are some, but even though though the, the indications that show that they exist so there are uh... you know twenty four twenty five districts that are republican held but that hillary clinton beat trump in so that's a data point everyone's looking at it's to suggest that there are these numbers uh... that 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 we could go that route even in all those districts while they voted for hillary over trump they still voted for the republican for the republican incumbent congressperson and so if you look at the numbers of the people who did that ticket splitting it's not going to be enough for us to be able to win there's always a drop off in the midterm elections and and the drop off is greatest among the core democratic constituencies who face greater economic obstacles in their life to being able to participate and turn out in an election so if our strategy simply rests upon hoping that the ticket splitters who voted against trump will now turn against the incumbent congressperson who they voted for in 2016 that's going to be inadequate and we have to look elsewhere and there fortunately there are larger pools and more promising pools of voters among those who uh either did not uh, did not vote in 2016 or who would be likely to not vote Um, in 2018. And that's more core Democrats and people of color in particular.
0: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about who are the low turnout voters and the non-voters in America.
1: Often by age and racial group is where you have the significant drop-off. And that in particular, uh, one of the biggest drop-off group uh, groupings is the Latino population. Some level also African American, and that that's really directly tied to people who don't really um, appreciate as much. There's a profound racial wealth gap in this country, so being able to overcome the various obstacles—the lack of time and transportation and all the other competitive demands on your on your life when you don't have a lot of money—is a challenge. And so you have to invest in being able to actually get those folks out to the polls. So, like, one, um, classic, uh, race that, you know, I think illustrates these different issues is California, uh, 21st, uh, congressional district. And that's a, a district that is actually a, uh, majority Latino. And it's in the, in California Central, Central Valley. And, it uh, comes as David Valadeo. And that district is 60% Latino. But in the midterm election in 2014, the incumbent Republican won that race because there was very, very low turnout of the Democrats. Only 80,000 people voted out of 500,000 eligible. Wow. Democrats only got their 33,000 votes. But that's a district. where, If we got 13,000 more Latinos to vote, we should be able to win that. There are 300,000 Latinos ineligible to vote in that district. So that's illustrative of where we should be moving our resources, time and energy to be able to get the core Democratic voters. Latinos are two-thirds Democratic in terms certainly in California where they pro- where they focus. If you can get more of those folks out to vote, then the prospects of picking up these seats increase and there's much more documented evidence around the effectiveness of investing in voter turnout efforts
0: okay, we want to turn out poorer voters, minority voters, younger voters. The Democratic Party establishment has focused on raising huge amounts of money, most of which they put into TV and into consultants. Uh, Is that the best way to turn out these less likely voters?
1: No. And so unfortunately, we're actually getting feedback that this is in fact what some of the top Democratic Party and Super PAC leadership is saying is that because there's historically low turnout among Latinos, some people who are uh Democratic Party operatives and and leaders are saying we should actually only invest in districts that don't have a lot of Latinos in them. Oh. And that so it's a, Is really this perverse backwards logic. And we have heard that that line of argument has actually been promoted by different people in Democratic Party leadership. So rather than investing in, again, the empirically proven efforts of hiring people from a community, have them go door to door, have them do phone banking among their neighbors, help pick people up at the polls, make sure they're actually able to vote absentee, you can increase turnout that way. You can identify for that California 21 district 13,000 people. Who didn't? Who would not be likely to vote and get them to vote? The contrast is that of the enormous amount of ads they do on television—that uh, it's not just the television per se, but it's who are you targeting? And so, if you're targeting the white suburban voters hoping to change their minds, there's very little empirical evidence of the effectiveness of that. And yet, that's the coin of the realm for too many people in democratic politics.
0: Yeah, the research that I've seen has concluded that the best way to motivate the apathetic or the ignorant or the unmotivated uh, potential voters is not with TV ads, but with personal contact. The best is face-to-face if one of their neighbors comes and knocks on their door and talks to them. The second best is if somebody like them calls them up and talks to them on the phone and then you go back to them, you keep track of them, you help them on uh, election day or when absentee voting begins. That is not... First of all, a matter of raising tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, that's a member of having the organizations that can put, you know, the famous uh, boots on the ground for the so-called ground game. Right,
1: exactly. Right, and that's the fundamental strategic challenge and shortcoming in too much of the of Democratic Party politics, is that challenge of the struggle that we're having right now. So the House Majority PAC, which is the primary super PAC, um, that's working on taking back the house. They've already reserved forty million dollars in television ads, primarily targeting suburban white women, Republican voters in a number of these different districts. At the same time, there are organizations such as Texas Organizing Project, which is does exactly what you're talking about, hiring people from the community, going door to door, doing calls, picking up people and taking them to the polls. The top's track record is such that they helped to elect the mayor of Houston. They helped to elect the mayor of San Antonio. They have a very demonstrable track record of getting out people to vote. Now, if we took some of those, that $40 million, and gave it to a group like top to be able to scale up their efforts, that brings three more congressional districts into play in Houston, in San Antonio, and in Dallas, where we could win if we mobilize larger numbers of voters of color.
0: We haven't talked yet about the kinds of issues that are more likely to mobilize people who are less likely uh, to vote. What can you tell us about that? Economic
1: justice issues are fundamental and, uh, That in terms of uh, uh, you know, access to you know, quality jobs and housing, quality education. These are the fundamental day-to-day issues that people, uh, frankly, across the racial spectrum grapple with. And on top of that, we are living in a time of extraordinary White House sanctioned racism and xenophobia. And so, having candidates and messages that speak to and acknowledge that reality and that we are not going to allow groups to be targeted based upon their national origin or their color is also an important point, and an important part of conveying the urgency of this moment um, in terms of what's at stake in this election.
0: And then there's also been a debate about what kind of people the Democrats should focus on as potential winners in challenging Republican incumbents. The establishment Democrats have been very interested this time around in military uh, veterans. Of course, on the other side, we have the famous former bartender of uh The Bronx and Queens, New York, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. What's your uh, stand on what kind of candidates the Democrats should put their resources behind?
1: We definitely need candidates who can inspire the constituencies and speak to the moment that we're facing. And so, you know, Alexandria definitely was one very shining example of that. But what we're seeing really bubbling up from the grassroots more so than in terms of what's being validated and promoted from the from the party is mobilization and a movement of the constituencies and the communities who are under attack by this white house and by this administration to stand up and fight back and say no i'm going to step forward for leadership and so you have a record number of women who have run and won the nominations at a time when we have a con- we have at stake, is Congress going to be holding accountable the admitted sexual harasser uh, who is in the White House? And so that is one aspect of this. and then on top of that, you have you know a very much more diverse uh, slate of candidates who are coming forward at a time when this administration and this president are really demeaning and attacking and going after all non-straight white men categories and so you've got you know different lgbt candidates running different lgbt lgbt candidates of color running in different places muslims running and winning and so we have the rainbow running asserting itself when the rainbow is under attack and that in fact is the best way to be able to mobilize his constituency. And then, even on top of that, there's a race in upstate, uh, upstate New York. Antonio Delgado, African American, running in an 86% white district, but that he actually is competitive and may actually win that district because he's from there and is able to speak to those white people in a time of racial uh, hostility. And that, I would argue, is one of the big problems we had in 2016 and all this burying our heads in the sand. Rather than actually countering the ex- explicit racial attacks that were coming from the from the Trump campaign,
0: Steve Phillips he wrote about what Democrats need to know about moderate Republicans for The Nation. You can read him at thenation.com. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me on.